This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, the Chicago Black Sox. For more than a century, Americans and some Canadians have been marking the passage of winter into spring and summer with the sport of baseball. It's associated with snacks like Cracker Jacks and hot dogs. It's the Little League World Series and getting day drunk in right field, showering in beer at Old Miss. But the major leagues have always had a darker side. In the early 20th century, there had been for years rumors that ballplayers were purposely losing games so that gangsters could make huge profit betting against them. This was such an open secret that America's most renowned book, The Great Gatsby, makes reference to it. In fact, the gangster character in the book, Meyer Wolfsheim, is based on a real-life mobster kingpin named Arnold Rothstein, who did in fact fix baseball games. This was common knowledge. Major League Baseball was rigged. Then in the middle of the influenza pandemic, one now famous owner had had enough. Charles Comiskey, the owner of the Chicago White Sox, sat fuming over his lost World Series one year earlier, dealing with rumors that his team had lost on purpose. Fed up with his players, who were the best paid in the league at the time, he did something no other owner had done in the face of insider baseball. He snitched on his own team. But why would players do this? How can it make more sense to risk getting caught losing on purpose than to simply be good at baseball? Now, more than one century later, in the middle of another pandemic, Major League Baseball simply cannot shake its reputation for cheating and scandal. In this episode, we discuss the team that took baseball's innocence, the Chicago Black Sox. And welcome into episode 27 of Game Theory, a podcast about strategy, competition, and decision-making. In this episode, we're talking about a famous baseball team from the early 1900s, popularized by movies and in novels like The Great Gatsby, Chris, the Chicago Blackhawks. But before we get into any of that, Chris, we want to thank everyone for being on this journey with us for a calendar year. We talked about it last episode. It's kind of crazy that it's been a year. Yeah, I want to give a big shout out to Player 3. Player That's 3. all of you listening to us. Really, really appreciate you tuning in, listening to us yak about stuff 26 times. We are excited for the next 26, and the next 26 after that, and the next 26 after that. We're going to keep playing until un- somebody unplugs this console. You're right. Really appreciate you guys being with us. Absolutely. And I thought, I remember when we dis- discussed the idea for the show, like, do you think we could get. So I, I, I've been in the podcast industry since uh, it was kind of getting going like 15 years ago. And I did it professionally for a while, and I, I remember asking you, do you think the number is 150 episodes? Do you think that we could get 150 episodes out of this? And so far, like, we have so many ideas we haven't even got to. People are sending us ideas, so it's, it's really exciting, and we appreciate everybody uh, for coming on this journey and hanging out and being nerds with us. I, we thought that this was an underserved market, and we've got this little uh, group of nerds, Player 3, and, and we're ready to throw it down with Player 3 anytime. And we need... Chris, um, we would appreciate, we don't need, we would appreciate some help for Player 3 to send some fellow gamers uh, to a national competition and a, a cause that's been close to your heart and brain since you were 16. Yeah, that's right. Player 3, we want to make a direct appeal to you to help support the Green River High School speech and debate team. They are well on their way to going to the national speech and debate tournament this summer in 
Louisville, Kentucky, one of the great cities of Kentucky, right up there with Lexington. And <laughs> one of the problems the students have is that it costs money to get from A to B. They got to take a flight. They got to take a bus ride. They got to stay in Louisville for a week. And that costs a lot. Uh, these kids worked really hard throughout the season. In order to get to the national tournament, you have to qualify at a really competitive tournament. And you might be surprised to hear this, but the Wyoming speech and debate circuit is pretty competitive. So the fact that seven students from Green River High School, uh, one of the small big schools, the big small schools, they're, they're, they're up against it. They work really hard. Yeah. And these seven students have earned their way to a national spot. And we would love any help that you could be willing to give uh, to these students to help them compete and represent themselves, the school, their community, and really the entire state of Wyoming at the yeah. national tournament. We yeah. got a GoFundMe page going for donations if you'd be willing to help us out. Uh, the link is in the description. Yep, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the YouTube description as well. If you're listening to this years, years henceforth and it's shut down, we appreciate you checking it out anyway and hope that you support one of the causes. We, it's, we're going to vow to uh, help support some more charities and, and things as, uh, as we move forward and anything that we think uh, might be under underutilized or and under discussed. So that's great. Chris has been a very modest and did some unprecedented shit back when he was in in high school in speech and debate, like triple qualifying for national tournaments and whatnot. Did you know? I'm just real quick in a side, Chris. Did you know that Louisville is used as like a stomping ground for like globally famous chefs? They go there to try stuff out, and then if it like takes hold of Louisville, then they go back to San Francisco or New York or Philly or or San Diego or wherever. Did you know that? No, I didn't know that. I, I went there once a long time ago for an American Legion event, and uh, I ate this delicious ribeye. Can't believe how good it was. Well, makes sense. So I guess now. it makes sense, right. but no, I, I didn't realize it was such a food city. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big food city. It's kind of a cool place. So yeah, go check out the GoFundMe. We would really appreciate the Player Three. I think Player Three is a great name for our, our audience. We're Player One and Player Two, and then Player Three. It's pretty clever. I don't, I don't mind it. Okay, so uh, episodes coming up in the future. We're going to do something called the Monty Hall problem, which was popularized by a movie in the uh, in the TV show Twenty One. We're going to revisit the dating game. That was a very popular episode. So there's way more ways to. Uh, meet someone then on an app, like on a TV show or in arranged marriages and things. So we're going to get into all of that uh, throughout the future. But today we are doing one of our history episodes and we're doing a sports episode. This is about the very famous slash infamous baseball team, the Chicago Black Sox. Yeah, so the Chicago Black Sox uh, sounds a little weird to say because people think, well, do you mean the Chicago Black Hawks? No. <laughs> do you mean the Chicago White Sox? No. We mean the 1919 Chicago Black Sox, who were famously accused and tried for fixing the World Series in 1919 when they played against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes. So they, uh, this, this is a huge scandal, right? So the idea was that they were a far better baseball team. Everyone was gambling on them. And this is underground gambling for the most part. Everyone betting on them to win the World Series. They were asked, coerced, or perhaps volunteered, as we'll discuss, to purposely lose the entire World Series if they received payment from people who knew the result of the World Series. So the idea was that because they were such heavy favorites, the payout would be enormous if the Reds were to win the World Series, and therefore, if the players would take more money, perhaps, than they were making for the games, to purposely lose then the people who were gambling on the Reds to win would make a ton of money. It's a very simple concept. People have been accused of this for literally hundreds, if not thousands of years in various circles. Yeah, so one of the ways that you might have heard about 
this scandal is from a really good movie from 1988. It's called Eight Men Out. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to the Post Punk Cinema Club for blogging about this. They did a really good write up about and discussed the movie aspect of what's going on here. But uh, according to that, you know, just a quick summary of what happens in the movie. Eight Men Out is this this look at the 1919 Chicago Black Sox scandal, and it's it's really an allegory for something that's bigger than this one historical event that happened over a hundred years ago. Now, uh, it's a look at how when players have this when we have this image in our mind of like public celebrities doing something so pure and so noble as playing the game of baseball just doing it for the love of the game what happens when that image of them is just shattered by some scandal people who are going outside the lines doing things that are not strictly legal at the time doing things that really undermine the integrity of like the game of baseball and what what happens when people kind of fall back down to earth after realizing that their heroes are, are, are actually criminals. And this movie did a really good job, I think, of layering in a lot of those different looks at the human element here, what's the what's the game theory element here, what's the baseball-specific angle, and what does this mean for how we understand celebrities and what the rational thing to do is for people who are in a position to either get a lot of money or not get a lot of money and continue playing and, and, and being this noble knight in shining armor hero to like kids and fans. Yeah, and I think this is one of those things where I, my, one of my weird historiography, which is a word, uh, my theories that I got when I was studying history in college was that at some point, I, I suspect maybe in the 80s or the 90s, right around the point in time where reality TV set in, it's almost as if we thought that history stopped being a thing and that we were in the ever-present. But history is continually being made. And where I'm going with this is that, could you imagine, and we're going to talk about more recent examples of this kind of thing happening in sports because it's happening perpetually. And if you don't think that it is, it totally is. But at, some, at a certain point, baseball became America's pastime. Right? It became the hunky-dory, this is, this is a, a noble thing that's happening. But we have no idea the sentiment of average folks in, in 1919 of this. And we think, like, what would that be like now if it came out that people purposely lost for the sake of taking money under the table, the most important sporting event in the world at the time. And we have no idea what the public sentiment is, but we do know that now in the 21st century, our sentiment is that was the era of Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and things were better and Great Gatsby and the roaring 20s. And, and, and it was, it's America's pastime. It's what you do. You go to the ball game. But now as, as we find out, this movie comes out, Chris, and it, it popularizes what it was like and it paints the pictures of the characters involved in the scandal in a really interesting way that is not that accurate yeah well so just to add a little additional context yeah. to to why this was such a a white bread apple pie uh, americana like time period in our, in our minds now i mean so at, at the time drinking wasn't legal yeah prohibition was still in effect vices were kind of under assault from not only like the culture, but also the legal system. So a lot of the ways that people seek pleasure now, just casually, like they just weren't available then. And so trying to pass time by doing something as pure and simple as watching a game of baseball, I mean, it was much more attractive. Uh, and it, it, this this movie, I think, does a really good job of, of capturing the spirit of like what happens when good players go bad. And, uh, and, and you know, there's obviously a lot more to it. Uh, but... The fact of the matter is there are a lot of uh, kind of misconceptions that came out of 
this story that we've that we've kind of painted for ourselves. There, there's a, a piece in the New York Times mm. uh, a couple of years ago in 2019, uh, written by John Thorne, uh, in which uh, he discusses some misconceptions, some recent research that sheds light on the situation and kind of corrects some uh, mistaken narratives. And and he has this great line. Uh, where he says, baseball's idyllic past, like America's and like our own, is not history. It is a pretty story agreed upon. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's mythology. That really comes to light when you look at scandals like this one. 100%. And I think um, this has been a bugaboo of mine. And I think you and I are going to do more episodes. So one time we, we were going to do one episode, and then we just started arguing about Marvel and Lord of the Rings, and then we just put that on the internet. We are going yep. to address that at some point. But one thing that has been a bugaboo of mine recently has been... Um, this need to create movies and TV shows based off of real events. And I'll be very clear, as someone who studied journalism, the documentary will always be better unless the subjects are dead. Period. Point blank, period. So in this case, the movie in uh, Eight Men Out, they had to tell a story. Because when you get screenwriters involved, in order to create story, they will make shit up. And I don't blame them. You got you to make a movie. They will make shit up. And as a result of that, the documentary will always be better. Just turn a camera on and tell the truth. For example, a great example of this is I read that there's going to be an Elizabeth Holmes live action movie made. Well, it's already on Hulu right now. Is it, is it done? It's a, it's a series. Yeah, it's, I a, will, it's, a, it's a live action series. I'm not participating. The documentary was excellent. The podcast was excellent. There is no actress on the planet who can emulate Elizabeth Holmes better than Elizabeth Holmes. And that this need to popularize things and to create mythology around things is literal bullshit. They are That's making it. I think it's a pretty good show. Yeah, I'm sure it's great. It won't be, it's not better than the documentary. At least factually, as far as learning the facts... It can't be better. It's probably better lighting. It's probably better sound editing. It's probably better enjoyment. It can't be better. It can't be more accurate. This is not possible because they're, they're, there's acting. Well, and with, with that said, I would argue that documentaries and live action portrayal, like dramatizations, are both ways of making an argument about something. Sure. Like a documentary might have more like true on the ground footage, but that doesn't mean they're not trying to make an argument. That's not like the objective truth oh, yeah, versus essay. like a stylized version. Hundred percent. It's a hundred. That is a hundred percent accurate. And it depends on you know the quality of the journalism and whatnot, and if like, how well the documentary is done. And if you wanted to put them together, I think that's an interesting idea. And this is of course popularized, but Adam McKay's The Big Short, which was kind of both, and it wasn't inaccurate, and it was also a dramatization. To me, like that's that's splitting hairs, and of course, people can do this and that. But the, the point here is that when you allow people to create mythology around something, they're going to, and their 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 uh, motives are probably not nefarious. But as a result of that, because we love the visual medium so much, it allows it to cloud our judgment. We discussed this aggressively when we talked about Moneyball. Like a lot of that leaves out huge facts because it doesn't fit in with the movie, and that's what Eight Men Out does. Yeah, like the existence of Barry Zito, for example, is really inconvenient. Miguel to Tejada, the, of the, film. the literal MVP. Yeah. So with with that in mind, I want to take a look at some of the misconceptions that sprung out of the ground about this story. Yeah. Uh, and John Thorne, again, in the New York Times, wrote about this uh, pretty well, and, and we're drawing largely on that to discuss some of this. But I want to use some of those misconceptions, Nick, to discuss the game theory here yes. and put ourselves kind of in the shoes or in the case of Joe Jackson, not in shoes. Ah. Wait. No, damn it, wait. There it is. 
Oh, the sound effects game is is slipping. You yes. got a compliment about the sound effects the other day. Did I appreciate? I yeah, appreciate had, that. I've yeah, one of the ones. one of one of player three reached out and said, "Great sound effects," but uh, way to ruin that reputation. But anyway, <laughs> we want to put ourselves in the shoes of the players who would have been faced with this decision, and I want to use some of these historical misconceptions and, and kind of correct the record here to give us a segue into discussing the true game theory here. Yes. So, uh, according to John Thorne. The Society for American Baseball Research, which sounds rad, frankly, yeah, I agree. like a great organization to work for, did a bunch of research about this, and uh, they, I, they they wrote a, a little uh, encapsulation of this situation, and they called it Eight Myths Out, obviously, in reference to the title of the 1988 film. I love Eight that. So uh, we're not going to go through all of them, but just some of the ones that, uh, that I thought were important here. So the first one is that the Chicago White Sox were poorly played by... Poorly paid by their skinflint owner, Comiskey. Mm. Uh, so in the film, the Sox are portrayed as being this really talented, crazy good team. They're everybody's favorite. Everyone knows they're going to win the World Series, and they're way underpaid for their efforts. Uh, it hits pretty close to home when you think about teams like the U.S. women's national team, for example, and the pursuit of higher pay rates that 100%. are commensurate with the men's team. Uh, in point of fact... The Chicago White Sox at the time had the highest payroll in the American League. So really, you could make the argument that they were actually overpaid. So drama lies to us there. Right. Uh, another myth here. Uh, after undeniably tossing games one and two of the World Series, the Black Sox shorted on their promised payments, played to win until a hitman known only as Harry F. threatened Lefty Williams before deciding the game. So, so the idea is that the Black Sox tossed games one and two, and then they were trying to play to win. Like, oh, crap, we got to we gotta make this look like realistic uh, until they were threatened by some guy uh, named Harry F., who was going to kill somebody before, or if they didn't, you know, if they, if they didn't uh, have the right outcome. Right. Uh, however, Harry F. isn't real. <laughs> he didn't exist. He was, he was made up. Yeah, that, that, that's just a, just a complete, uh, complete... Fabrication. There, well, there, Chris, there was it no makes area. the story good. Because the story the, really, really The alternative good. is that these guys just did it because they wanted to, and there is no moral. They just wanted to cheat. Yep. And we'll discuss that, certainly, and, and why they would do that. But this, right. this, this last myth that I want to clear up here, uh, the Black Sox scandal, this 1919 World Series, was baseball's original sin, its first instance of game-fixing, which shocked the conscience of the nation um only kind of partly true it shocked the conscience of the nation certainly it was the first public fixing scandal uh but there's a problem it is absolutely not the first case of fixing the game in fact uh, john thorne in this new york times piece points out that there was a huge scandal in 1877 when louisville players uh, threw away the pennant and and they got a big payout for it mm-hmm. oh and by the way there were also World Series fixes in 1903, 1905, 1914, 1917, and 1918. So this was really just the third straight season in which the World Series was fixed. Uh, it just so happened to be with a team that was so highly visible as the Chicago White Sox for being so good as they were. Uh, and it was the first to really break to the public conscience. I mean, you know, according to Encyclopedia Britannica, you know, court records suggest that eight 
the eight players who threw this, like, you know, it wasn't all nine of them that were on the field. It was it was eight players. Uh, they received seventy to one hundred thousand dollars, which at the time enormous. was a ton of money enormous. Uh, for losing games. Uh, you, know, you have five games to three. So, yeah, you know, we we have these stories about how you know they, these guys were forced into gambling because they wanted to stick it to their owner, and they were really fighting for equal pay, and they were really trying to know their worth kings and they're <laughs> representing the little guy who's oppressed by big money and it, it's a crock of shit yeah none really of that is. is true yeah and it's so baseball i don't know how like i said earlier i don't know how baseball does this where it is able to create this imagery of things of a bygone happier era which is like objectively speaking as an american every single day it is better than the previous generation every single day that's how america has always been because we're such innovators and there's such money, there is no situation where the 50s were better than the 2000s. This is not true. But we'd well, like and, to think that know, it is. That, that's a myth that we as Americans, I think, have struggled with, yep. with telling ourselves. Jimmy Carter's Crisis of Confidence speech, I think it was like 1979, yes. where he said, for the first time in the history of our nation, a majority of Americans believe that the next five years will be worse than the past five years. Whether we believe that or not, you know, some of there's something to be said for like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you think things are going to be worse than they are, and you know, this constructivist idea of like how the zeitgeist is and what the country is and blah blah blah. But in point of fact, you know, materially speaking, you know, by by virtually any metric, things are way better now than they've ever been, and that's always been true for America. And so I don't understand. You know, I, I I understand the pull of the myths about how things used to be better in a bygone time and how we're we're past the golden days and everything is in a slow decline, blah, blah, blah. I understand the nostalgic attraction of that kind of thinking. But historically speaking, that shit ain't true. No, it is not. It, well, I mean, it's not true at all. And it wasn't, I mean, even then, like for people who were of uh, not white land-owning uh, male circumstances, it wasn't true then. But it's just... It's our ability to tell our own myth, and that's 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 what's going on here, and it's happening currently in baseball. There, they, baseball is the dirtiest sport. The scandals that they have are far worse systematically than any of the other North American sports by far. Like they were all using what we would basically consider meth now in the '80s. They were just doing it as a performance-enhancing drug. They were all using steroids. Their union is incredibly strong. There, I mean, it's it, the 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 baseball is it's it is and has always been the dirtiest, sketchiest sport. The the Astros cheating scandal, Bill Belichick's videotaped coaches on the sideline for the Super Bowl, the Astros were possibly wearing devices. Like, it is not the same thing. So, uh, this is, baseball has been able for many generations to do this, which is fine with me. I just, like, don't, I don't understand how they get away with the myth. But now, let's turn to the math and to how this can possibly happen and why it feels like we've been, as a group, betrayed when this kind of thing happens. And also why this is so important that athletes cannot be allowed to gamble on their sport at all. By the way, that was a really good segue. Let's turn from the myth to the math. Oh, you should uh, you should save that for future episodes. From the myth to the math. Dang, that from the myth that's, to the math. That's a good that's a good segment. We can get somebody to sponsor that's, that. That's really good. That would be like a good like fictional version of your memoir. Because uh, it'd be like it'd math. be like in reverse order, really. <laughs> yeah. Actually from the is, math to the math. This is all made up. Thanks for buying my book. Yeah. Yeah, but so so let's let's do what you said. Let's turn to the math here. So, game theory, of course, is a mathematical model for describing how people make choices in certain environments. Right. In 
one single instance of a sports game, it's really obvious. You know, the players are competing against each other to try to win. We talked about situations where it might be beneficial for both teams to tie in the grander scheme of things, depending on their record and what what is at stake at the end. And it, we we've arrived at this this conclusion that it's generally speaking, always beneficial to not cooperate with somebody and try to go for the sucker's payoff. Your your best option, given two choices, is to try to compete. Uh, that cuts your losses. That minimizes what you're throwing away. It is mathematically the most rational choice. However, we have also identified certain cases where it might be a more rational choice to actually try to cooperate or try to sidestep this, this dilemma and the real determining factor for when it might be beneficial to do that versus not do that. That looks so delicious. Uh, I just poured myself some coffee here. You guys can hear some, here's some little ASMR porn for you. What better time for it than right in the middle of a mathematical discussion? I know. But anyway, the thing that determines what the rational choice is, is the victory condition. I would, I would venture to say. Right. So, Let's put ourselves in the shoes of the Chicago Black Sox players. And let's, for the sake of discussion here, pretend that we're an underpaid, disillusioned team of all-star players who are bound to win the World Series and are up against it with our curmudgeon old owner who just won't pay us what we're due. Let's say somebody approaches us and says, hey, everyone knows you guys are going to win, so the big money will be made on betting against you. So you should throw these games and we'll give you a fat slice of this pie so you'll come out on the other side wealthier. And since you have to play the game anyway, nobody will be able to tell. So you can just go ahead and have your cake and eat it too. You get the money and you get to continue playing baseball, live to fight another year, win a World Series in 1920 instead of 1919. Now, if I'm a player, I am faced with a dilemma here. The dilemma is, do I cheat or do I not cheat? Using that kind of phraseology makes it sound like an obvious choice that one of these things is wrong and one of these things is right. Morally speaking, that is true. You should not cheat. You should not cheat in baseball. You shouldn't cheat in any sport. You're paid to play the game to win the game. You play to win the game. Hello. Hello. It's the wrong thing to do to cheat. Right. But from a rational perspective, when you consider what are, what are the outcomes going to be and what am I going to gain and lose, if you value the integrity of the game of baseball... If you value the status of being a high-profile, beloved baseball player with a long-term career ahead of you, with lucrative contracts down the road, with fame, fortune, and everything you could ever want, and the integrity of the game of baseball where people just go out and try their best, if you want that intact, then the rational thing to do is to say, no, I will not cheat. I will play to win the game. However, if your victory condition is a little bit more materialistic than that, if you're interested in making financial gains, if you're interested in preserving your career but also picking up a little extra cash along the way, then suddenly the rational choice becomes clear. You should cheat and get away with it. That's why it's called cheating. The point is that if you want to win, you want to maximize your outcome here, your victory condition determines what is the right choice. So if the victory condition is to get paid, and continue playing baseball, then you should cheat and try to get away with it. If your victory condition is to play the game of baseball, then you should play the game of baseball. And really, it's it's pretty simple here, and it becomes a matter of risk calculus. So, so the risk that the players have to weigh is, 
am I likely to get caught doing this? And am I likely to get in trouble for getting caught doing this? Right. If you if you're in the industry, you know that the last few World Series have been fixed. You know that cheating happens. If you live in Chicago, you know that organized crime has a hand in underground gambling. And you are probably familiar with or even friends with people who are powerful enough to get you inside those circles in the first place. It's not like they found a flyer for like, hey, anyone looking to fix a World Series, come apply within. No, yeah. they know who these people are. Right. So being in that position means that you get to kind of decide your own your own destiny here and you get to decide what the victory conditions are. And if the risk calculus becomes it's more likely that I won't get in trouble for this then that I will, then the rational choice is, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and throw the World Series and I'm going to be opportunistic because that's the rational choice mathematically. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, man, if I, I'm not a mathematician, but I am a history nerd. And I think if I were ever, I'm sure that somebody smart, I've said this before, I'm sure somebody smarter than me has already done this. If I were going to try to create my own aspect of game theory, just having ruminated on this as an economist, which I am you're, not. You're, you're going to invent your own field of game theory? I do. I, th I think I have one. I'm not, I'm, I'm not joking. And I know that there are actual people that listen to this show. That well, your, are, your theory and your field in game theory is going to be fun. I'm trying fun. to be serious, Chris. God Sorry. damn it. <laughs> by, the way, by the way, do you know where out of left field came from? Uh, I imagine it has something to do. I thought it was Ty Cobb when he, when he first got paid. I think it has to do. I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up right now because I, I, I heard this story. Uh, it's so it's obviously it's something that means like unexpected or weird or, yeah, or strange, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it came out of Chicago baseball, Chicago Cubs baseball. Of course. Uh, so according to the Major League Baseball website, uh, Cook County Hospital uh, had a mental institution behind left field uh, uh, where, where the Chicago Cubs play. And uh, no <laughs> occasionally they would like hear things or have things thrown on the field or whatever. So like something literally came out of left field. So Chicago baseball is uh, is the origin of, of that. So. I love kind of that. a fun little coincidence you know, that, that you're, cool. you're planning to develop your own little left field here. All right, so there's, I'm going to try my left field. Are you ready? Are you ready to shut, shut up and listen to my math? Sorry. All right, here's my math. I, wanted to, I want to call it the gladiator game or the gladiator problem. Do you like this? It's already regret Because that's, that's history and we understand. It's when there's a game within a game and any time the illusion of the game that's in the arena is broken, it really screws things up and people hate it. An example of this would be, obviously, sports. All sports are this way, the game within the game. That's why owners are not motivated to win. They're motivated to almost win so that they make a ton of money. The same can be said for things like reality TV shows. The game within the game is that 12 or 16 or however many young men are trying to earn the affections of a beautiful, uh, accomplished young woman in, say, The Bachelor. As soon as we find out that it's bullshit, we're like, these people have to go. But the person who makes the most aggressive form of bullshit can get famous. And the game within the game, he becomes not a gladiator, but a person in the stands making decisions. As soon as that illusion is broken down, it, it screws with our brain. But we can never forget about the, the gladiator problem because every single person benefits from the fact that the game is happening. The outcome is irrelevant, but the people in the stands care about the outcome quite a bit. And that, that to me is like, what this, that's what this is, right? We see that with all sports. It's like, why? Like the NCAA, it's, it's the same exact thing. Like pay the players, don't pay the players. We don't want the game to be affected. But the people outside the game, the game is the game, right? Like I think I, I'm, I'm not articulating that as well as I should if I were going to submit it to a professor. But I, do you understand what I'm trying to say? <laughs> yeah, I would go through a few more rounds of editing, but I think <sighs> I know what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's, it's like metagaming you know, or like when people say like, right. oh, so-and-so, we're over here playing checkers and so-and-so is playing five-dimensional chess. It's like, okay, that's fun. And I, like you know what, exactly what somebody's talking about when they say that. But yeah, no, I mean the game with like the metagame, 
it, it's just it, it's just like when we discuss like do teams intentionally tie like yeah. well okay the the outcome of the individual contest is irrelevant what matters is are we getting in the playoffs but right. then for the owner what matters about the playoffs is are we selling more merchandise correct or are we getting more season ticket commits for the next season or are we you know, is the value of my franchise increasing as a result of making it farther into the postseason 100 like, do i care about winning or do i care about like winning winning right exactly and that's exactly right so we see the same thing so we're going to continue to talk about baseball and hammer on it so baseball does in, not well, have and, and real real quick okay, just yeah, yeah. just in, in case anybody's but you know it, it occurs to me that that sounds really similar to like well changing the victory condition changes what's rational that's not necessarily the same uh-uh. concept here because because what nick is talking about with the gladiator theory which i i'd like uh, uh it's like uh it's it's layered it's like like a parfait or like a cake or like an onion, or like an ogre. Or like my stomach. Uh, the, there's a game, and then there's a game outside that, and then there's a game outside that. And so it's it's not like a lateral move, where what, what I was discussing earlier with changing the victory conditions is like, okay, if I reframe this entire thing, if I turn from the left to the right, I see two completely different paths with completely different like ways of navigating those right. paths. Yes. My calculus changes. It's not like I'm also layering this on top of the game that I'm playing. It's It's... It's it's the difference between uh, peeling an onion to get to the center, or like two paths diverging in a yellow wood. Completely right. different scenarios. Exactly. That's exa- it's, it's exactly right. And what people find out when you peel an onion, you cry, which is a great <laughs> metaphor for what happens when you find out that there's a game within a game, and people don't want to Crow address this. Dies in the gladiator, you cry. <laughs> right. Exactly. So this. And we find out the Chicago White Sox owner Comiskey, who for whom the park is now named in the north side of Chicago, Yikes. he was really pissed. Like he found out, and he apparently, according to Wikipedia and many articles, he just sat on his ass and was like fuming. And then he elected to rat on his own team, which, frankly, I don't blame him because if if you're an owner, then you know it, it's in your best interest for the players to play the game. Like you bought the players which sounds weird to say, you bought the team, you want them to win so that way you can get more ticket sales, you can sell more merchandise, right. you can get more notoriety. Hell, you, you know, back back in the day, you know, I, I know we talked about how this like golden age stuff is a bunch of malarkey, but you know, who who as an owner wouldn't want their name to be written down in the history books as like, oh yeah, so-and-so owned the World Series champions. Like, okay, they... it is not in the interest of the owner to have players cheating him literally out of money and fame. Right, and, and like the notoriety part of it, where I'm just having this conversation, like with the American healthcare system, is a perfect example, just like sports, of how people can be either motivated by money or by notoriety, fame, and acclaim. It's the same thing in movies. Either way, the people benefit, and if, whether or not your goal is to win an Oscar or your goal is to sell a bunch of tickets, everybody who's involved in the situation wins as long as that's your motive right so like for Comiskey if he just wanted to win a world series to be a legend that's fine you'll notice in, in football the trophy is called the Lombardi trophy I don't know how much money he made but I know he's a literal legend if the human species was extinct and then re-evolved in a million years you would find those trophies and people would figure out who Lombardi was well you and I probably would not be involved in the annals of history yet I mean I could still kind of figure it out you never know yeah no I I, I mean yeah, you're 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 exactly right, and and that that that's why this this whole baseball cheating scandal thing in the modern era is really confusing to me. Like, how does d- despite this this dual motivation of fame and acclaim versus money, like how does Major League Baseball still continue to make dumb decisions? 
Yeah. How do they still continue to get it wrong when it comes to things like obvious, recorded, verifiable, easily, go literally Googleable cheating on behalf of a major organization, and then accusations uh, against a bunch of other clubs to follow? Yeah. I mean, how is it that they could possibly continue to be so obtuse? How is it in this day and age, Michael, that you? I don't understand how you can be so <laughs> obtuse when it comes to sexual orientation. Like Major League uh. Baseball. How are you so obtuse when it comes to like prosecuting cheating and like at least trying to protect the integrity of the game? Like, my goodness, uh, like they just had, they the just had a lockout at a time when viewership is already plummeting. Not only as a result of COVID, it wasn't just COVID that was killing baseball. It's that it's a boring, long old man's game surrounded by mythology. This pretty story agreed upon that is not reflective of the the ugly, sometimes like really tragic history of the game of baseball. Like, yes. I don't get how they just don't see this. Yeah, I and a lot of it has to do with it's the it's I would say that the Major League Baseball Union is the most powerful union in the history of the world. Like their ability to hold things against That's a bold claim. I don't think I'm joking. Like their but ability we do to have get a seven, money, we do have a five day work week with weekends and nine to five as a result of some pretty serious like riots there are and stuff. there are middle relief pitchers who throw like twenty innings a year that make like ten million dollars a year. Yeah, no, they are the best. Which is which is which how? is absolutely crazy. How? It, it is crazy. Like no, they are. It's insane how powerful they are, and they're all united. And it's it's we're I'm sure we'll do many episodes on union as we uh, stop getting scared. But <laughs> we will <laughs> one day we will get into unions. But they, you're you're correct as well. That baseball has this thing. I do have a question though that this um, I hadn't planned on asking this, but I'm going to ask you: Are you more offended in the the gladiator problem if you find out that a team is cheating to lose, or if a team is cheating to win? How do you, ooh, ooh, ooh. Now that's a really good question. So the comparison would be, am I more upset with the 1919 Chicago Black Sox for intentionally losing the World Series? Right. Or am I more upset with the 2019 20, 20, Houston Astros right. for obviously cheating, cheating in the middle win. of a game to get a competitive Many advantage? Many games, yeah. Yes. I think I'm more upset with the Astros. because. You know, it, it, it's it's unfair to it, it's unfair to the integrity of the game and it's unfair to the other players to cheat to lose because you know your adversary goes in thinking you know they're gonna they, they've worked really hard to get to this moment you know assuming there is at least some pure intention left in the world you know these guys are professional ball players but they want to they want to succeed they want to win the World Series uh, it's it's crummy for them to say like yeah we won but the other team cheated and intentionally lost and you always have to wonder like what what could have been that actually happened to me in in, uh, in high school debate one time really in, uh, in yeah in 2010 I was in the state championship final round it was me and uh, and somebody from from Powell. I won't I won't share this person's name to protect the identities of the innocent. But uh, I was sitting in the room with a bunch of people, you know, 40, 50 people come to watch like the, the final round of like the state championship tournament. And uh, we waited and waited and waited, and this person never showed up. And finally, like the the head of like Wyoming Speech and Debate, who was directing the tournament, came in and said, "Well, yeah, we're sorry for the delay. Uh, this round is over, and you have won." So like I won. But yeah. I didn't actually have the final round, and, and it come to find out, I talked to this person's coach years later, and and that person was just like they just didn't want to show up. They were just like afraid to just do the actual event. Yeah, so I was wondering what could have been. So it, it's unfair in that sense. But I think, as I said, I'm more upset with the Astros for cheating to Me win too. because there's not even a silver lining for the team on the other side who gets who gets cheated out of it. Of course, yeah. the Nationals did win the World Series that year when they played against Houston. Uh, hilariously, hilariously, they didn't win a single game at home 
for the first time in their franchise history, they're in the World Series. They didn't win a <laughs> single game in front of their home fans. These these people deserve that. But <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. And let me tell you why. Because if yeah. you are the op- the op- the opposition, like you were in your debate story, uh, at least you can say like part of winning is showing up. I still deserve it at some level because in a, a macro sense, like the Reds played baseball and they deserved to win because they didn't try to lose. And like that to me, fine. If your gambit is to purposely lose, that's your own goddamn problem, fine. If you're like when your opponent looks away moving a pawn up the board, that's bullshit. Yep, it's it's malarkey. And, and you know, it's it comes to bear in uh, in athletic contests that like you know, we we have this discussion like what constitutes a sport. We've always said, Nick, you and I have always said that if if a contest is not possible to win on an objective basis, it's not mm-hmm. really like a sport because you can lose unfairly based on other people cheating. Figure skating is the most obvious example of that to me. 100%. I mean, it's it, like it, it's crazy. Like imagine that like scientific like mathematical research shows that judges tend to vote better for competitors from their own country crazy <laughs> like, that kind of cheating is is horse hockey you know the the cheating the the uh, the i tanya story yes. tanya harding the whole great example uh, of exactly what i was talking about earlier right. where parts are true and parts are fake yes right yeah so i'm i'm more upset with something like that than somebody who's like oh no i couldn't land this triple axle whoopsie yep. like that that kind of cheating to me is 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 much worse. So like you're pursuing the noble goal of winning the contest, but you're using dirty, unfair, unreasonable bullshit methods to do it. Yes. I mean, and I, I, for, and for whatever reason, and this is like maybe our own bias because perhaps we should be more upset with the thing that reveals the layers of the onion that allows us to see, to peek behind the curtain that there's more going on here and players are motivated by the game outside of the game, which is, is a, is a, is a preposterous kind of thing to insinuate. But I, I mean, I am in agreement with you. I am definitely more upset with people. And in a weird way, a team using technology to gain an advantage the way that the Astros did in 2019 is more upsetting to me than even using steroids. Like, I don't know why that is, but that's my gut vibe right now. Well, yeah, and you know the the thing about you know stealing signs or whatever, like that's that's part of the game. Like that, it's one thing to have opsec basics between humans on the baseball field. Like, like one time when in middle school baseball, we were scrimmaging the high school team just as like a fun thing, and I was the catcher, and the the first base coach on the high school team could like see my signs the whole time, and he's like, hey. <laughs> Protect your signs, idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, yeah. that's one thing. Yeah. But to use, like, to use your home stadium and use artificial technology that's not supposed to be part of the game of baseball, like, there's no rules about that. It, it's it's not consistent with, like, how the game of baseball is to be played. It's like, like when Bobby game. Fischer and Boris Spassky had their world championship match. Fischer cried about everything. The, the, the photographers are too close. Now they're too far away. The lighting's too bright. Now it's too dim. I don't want to do it at this time. I want to do it 15 minutes earlier, but now that's too early. I, he just complained and complained and complained about all this stuff that doesn't have anything to do with the 64 square and 32 pieces on a chessboard it it, it, that is just so nonsense to bring that kind of stuff into the game in an unfair way that could like hurt people right could not only like lose people money on gambling and stuff but like it just it it hurts people who don't you know who who have no reason to be victimized like that 
All right, so I wanted to turn the conversation to gambling in general because this is a major thing, and this is happening all over the country as sports gambling becomes legal. And I'm a sports gambler. Um, I do it. I I have an anti-addictive personality. Have you ever met someone who occasionally kind of smokes cigarettes? No, I do. I don't. I don't have an addictive personality for whatever. You occasionally reason. smoke cigarettes? Yeah. Well, I came up with the rule in college: if you're too drunk to drive, you're drunk enough to have a cigarette. <laughs> Is that uh, where, where does that fall on the range of uh, business drunk and rich drunk? Oh, it, it's perpetual. Yeah, they're always drunk enough to have a cigarette. Um, the good thirty rock reference, reference there, but so like, but I, I gamble, and I'll tell you a reason. It's very narcissistic because at the baseline, I participate in sports Twitter and whatnot, and these people are. It's the same thing as the gladiator problem, where they're just making up content. And I'm like, you fuckers should have to put your money where your mouth is, and I, you should either get fired if your takes are wrong, or you know what? There is no higher take than putting money on it. So I gamble to be right. I don't gamble because I like the payoff. I put a couple bucks on a game because like, I knew it. And now you guys are liars. And like, I, that's, what, that's why I do it. But the rest of the country is not that way. A lot of people gamble because it's, it's fun to have skin in the game. It's an incredibly dangerous vice. Uh, psychiatrists will tell you that most psychiatrists will unilaterally tell you that the most addictive things and the things that will screw up a life uh, of any sort of addictive or behavioral disorder, gambling and anorexia are, are way worse than any substance you could get addicted to. Gambling will screw shit up for generations. It is an incredibly dangerous situation. So we need to have, you call 1-800-GAMBLER, and you know, in the, in the episode description, if that's something that you're struggling with, we'll put information in the show notes, of course. But as it becomes legal, and as someone who does it, it's kind of, I believe, sort of unconstitutional to have it legal in certain states and not other states and alcohol and whatever. But part of it is- Amendment, baby. Yeah, 100%. Well, no, the 10th Amendment is uh, rights enumer- not enumerated in the Constitution or enumerated to the states. Uh, well, that's a states' I, rights issue. Yeah, that's annoying. That's why, that's why we have, like, it took until, like, 2015 for Tennessee to be able to, like, sell wine in liquor stores because they write right. their own rules, dog. Yeah, but it, how does that work for marriage, though? Because it should be one state is every state at a certain point, right? The Supreme Court decision. Well, as of 2015, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, irregardless... <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. You're a math, you're a math guy. Forget words. Yeah, I'm, I'm a math guy. So gambling is, is fun, and now you can do it on your phone, and there are apps that take it very seriously. Like if you are, say that your home state is Pennsylvania and your phone knows that you're in New Jersey, like, hey, bud, you can't bet in New Jersey. You say you're in Pennsylvania and you're in Pennsylvania. It makes it really easy, and because it's really easy and because there are fantasy sports, professional athletes have been gambling on sports, and people are taking this shit really seriously in the news recently, as we record this in the uh, spring of 2022, Calvin Ridley, who stepped away from the Atlanta Falcons for mental health reasons, which is something that has been bargained for, and I think a positive sign for the most part for athletes who need it. While he was away, he gambled on the Atlanta Falcons. And my gut feeling on this is that he was not in contact with the team. Nothing here was nefarious. He just thought it was bullshit that they were such big underdogs, and he gambled on them. The, the FanDuel, who has an agency of private investigators looking at who's using, in their, using their app, which I kind of really like that, they found him, and they ratted on him. And he got suspended for an entire year. Now, keep in mind, this is with the Deshaun Watson sexual assault allegations are still out there. There are many worse things in terms of, like, physical violence and, and players. like. But the NFL is like, you cannot bet on football ever. And they have put their foot down on this. He's the first person that's been caught doing it. And like, because of what we described, because he could theoretically go this way or that way, I kind of am on board with the NFL freaking out about this. Yeah, well, and, and that kind of raises the question of like how much, 
how much fame and notoriety and recognition, like where, where is the place of this person in the, the greater mythos of your organization? Uh-huh. And when it comes to sports betting, I would argue that there's nobody that's more famous for it than Pete Rose. Correct. So Pete Rose was an all-time, all-world, just phenomenal, you know, first ballot, shoe-in, Hall of Fame baseball player. But he bet. He bet on his own team. Yes. And so for that, as punishment, the MLB has said that he's never going to go in the Hall of Fame. Uh, there's a huge campaign to get Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame because he's obviously one of the greatest players. He's obviously deserving of the honor. But right. baseball has done this thing where they said, well, you know, to, as a, I don't know if it's supposed to be just strictly a deterrent or what, or, or if it's part of this pretty story that they all agree upon. But you know, baseball is a game of integrity, and we won't allow players who bet on their their own teams or bet on the league to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, okay, but everybody knows who Pete Rose is. Right, like you can't you can't stop him from being famous. You can't stop him from being recognized as one of the greatest baseball players of all time. Uh, he he played the game without the game, rather to 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 turn a phrase. And for that, he's somehow punished, but kind of like not really. I mean, he made a bunch of money, and he was still an all time great player. And everybody like we're talking about him today, and he played decades ago. Yeah, oh. and it and what he did was bullshit. But it, yep. it does come back to like, and this is what's really important. There is a difference to me to doing something that is a vice that is incredibly addictive and fixing fixing stuff. Because, like I said, like I don't I don't get the buzz. But if you do get the buzz because it's fun, like many many millions of people, hundreds of millions of people throughout history, they enjoy it. They enjoy gambling. They enjoy poker and blackjack and and all sorts of financially motivated games. It is fun. But there is also this risk because of the Black Sox and other teams when you get any sort of opportunity to throw stuff. And that's not the only case. Like, there's a very famous instance in Arizona State basketball. You can watch the documentary on Netflix in 1994. They were point shaving just a campus bookie running odds, and they purposely shaved on the spread against Oregon State. Like, that happens all the time. But betting on a sport for fun is something that you can reasonably understand. Like, okay, well, that's that's understandable it's it's fun you can't do it you because of this game theory situation like there are no circumstances under which we can ever because immediately when calvin Ridley was suspended immediately people are like look at that look at that low effort play look at that low effort play look at that low effort play and everyone's like you know that's excusable but on the other hand it will never not creep into your head never you can never do it and to that point did you know nfl players are allowed to play fantasy football they are not allowed and they have to prove it on their taxes and they have to prove it to the league they're not allowed to have entry fees of more than $25. Wow. $25 sounds fair for people who are making hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions a year. I am not going to rat. No, many no. players play fantasy football for many, many, many times, $25. And to, uh, to bring this back to, uh, to the Blackhawks, I want to share a quotation from one of the players. You so just did it, Chris. They- you called them the Blackhawks. Black, oh, the Black Hawks, Black Sox. Yeah, the Black Hawks are probably cheating somehow. They suck, too. <laughs> they suck. They have their own problems. I want to bring this black, back to the Black Sox. Yes. Uh, one of the players, Buck Weaver, had this line that I thought was just so emblematic of the way that like personal biases and self-interest really are our drivers here and why game theory is such a reliable thing. You know, we, we want to have this image of baseball players as like people we can count on. And, you know, they, they say you should never meet your heroes because, you know, you're going to realize like they're just self-interested too. Like they're yeah. just going to be opportunists as well. Like they're just playing game theory the way any of us would. And, and Buck Weaver said this. So uh, they, uh, he and uh, his cohort of cheaters uh, were tried in a court of law and found guilty. Uh, but then 
you know, they were banned from baseball for life. They could never go back and play baseball again because of this terrible scandal. And Buck Weaver said this. He said, a murderer even serves his sentence and is let out. I got life. Um, mm, imagine, imagine the ego. Yeah. Just, there's just the sheer narcissism required to compare fixing a game of baseball as a talented player to murder. And say, like, oh, I'm treated more unfairly than murderers. Like, yeah. my God. Yep. It, it, and I don't know where he gets the idea that murderers serve their sentence and are just, like, let In out. Texas, I mean, they're killed. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a that's a generalization that I would uh, lean the other direction in. 100%. But, so, like, to me, this, this illustrates... So Dale Carnegie wrote his famous book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And in the, in the yeah. beginning, there's this story about this, like, notorious serial killer who is on the run from the police, and he's, like, killed all these people, and he's, like, engaged in firefights and hurt all these cops and stuff. And once he finally gets arrested, he says... Something to the effect of, I'm just a really good guy. Like, people don't understand my point of view. It's like, if somebody like that, and if somebody like Buck Weaver can still continually to, like, continue to justify themselves and say, like, well, you know, I was I was right, or, like, everybody's just being unfair to me. It, it, to me, that, it, it leads me towards cynicism on a personal level. Yes. But it also gives me faith in the mathematics of game theory. And, you know, most people, you know, biases aside, are going to be pretty rational most of the time. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, it's self-interest that that drives people. And uh, you know, it, it means that outcomes like this one, like this cheating scandal, uh, are pretty predictable, really. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get out of here, Chris, on this. The reason that this is such a problem, it's such an interesting debate for us, is the case and the story of Shoeless Joe Jackson. Now, Shoeless Joe Jackson, mythologically, it is still debated and unclear whether or not he actually participated and there have been books and like legal review people on how his case was a tragedy he did not get his own representation he was illiterate he was literally illiterate it's the most famous and most expensive signature that you can get in collectibles a shoeless joke because he could not write they don't know if he actually received any money the players have said he was never at any meetings he was banned for life and statisticians have gone back through the 1919 world series this was an eight man out he played really really well it does not there is no evidence that he didn't play kind of as well as one could play in that series but he was banned for life and they said that you know they got him drunk and say hey joe did you get five thousand dollars for this and he said yes and he was drunk but you look back and his you know his cohorts were like i don't know that he did and this is the issue if you're really, really good, I liked the mythos of Shoeless Joe trying to play under pseudonyms for years because he loved baseball and the famous line in the courtroom with the little kid, say it ain't so, Joe, which is also made up by a newspaper. Maybe Calvin Ridley did shave points. Maybe he didn't. I mean, if you're good, we will never know. Never. Till we build it and they come. <laughs> and on that, we're going to get out of here. Remember the GoFundMe's in the show notes along with uh, our Googleography as well. Subscribe to our YouTube page. If you want to see uh, our beautiful bearded mugs, Chris, Monty Hall problem and a bunch of fun stuff coming out the center. It's going to be can't wait. Can't wait. And we're live with this week's episode of Game Theory.